0: and ever, for the ages. Amen. And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes? And whence came they? And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, These are they which came out of great tribulation, and have washed their robes, and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore are they before the throne of God, and serve him day and night in his temple, and he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them nor any heat. For the lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them, and shall lead them unto living waters, or excuse me, living fountains of waters, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And again, as we said yesterday, we understand what we've Our attempt here is, is with these past few lessons, is to provide an overview. And we, and it's, sometimes it's a frustrating thing when we, we hit a certain subject and we just kind of glance over it and don't go into more detail or provide more explanation of of some of the things that we've said. So if any questions arise or, or any concerns, please don't hesitate to ask or, or send me a note or whatever and I'll, I'll respond further as, as need be. But in our consideration this morning, we have to understand that once the enemies of God are destroyed or subdued, then begins the true beauty that we envision when medipa- meditating upon the kingdom of God. A time of peace, righteousness, and unity as opposed to the tumult, wickedness, and disunity that has been the norm since the fall of Adam. Isaiah 32:17. Before I forget, in going through in some of the things we talked about yesterday, especially in talking about basically the, um, from, from the return of Christ uh, and the march of the rainbowed Angel through Sinai, so doing um, the Gogian forces uh, and, and even going on further. I don't know how many of you have an index rerum. And sometimes you, I take this, this little booklet, I keep it in my Bible for granted, but there is really an excellent, excellent, Summary along with many, 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 many scriptural references that provide uh, some very concise information regarding some of the subject matter that we considered yesterday. Uh, but but the, don't don't take the index room for for granted. If you if you have one, uh, use it. Um, take consideration of, of of a lot of things that are that are found in it. Uh, it's a really a, a nice resource to have. Isaiah 32:17. And the work of righteousness shall be peace and the effect of righteousness, quietness, and assurance forever. The beauty of the coming age is exhaustively reaffirmed throughout the scriptures. And for the saints, they will enjoy the fullest benefits of not only immortality, but of perfect unity and fellowship with God, Christ, and each other. Faithful Jews and Gentiles of all ages join together in the commonwealth of Israel through the blood of Christ. The splendor of the kingdom is not without example. In Solomon's reign, we see a model or a blueprint on a smaller scale of what is yet to come. In this type, we are taught of a peaceful and incredibly prosperous kingdom ruled by a wise and merciful king with all the admiration and respect of the then known world. Under David, which was a 40-year reign, was a time of war, in preparation for the time of peace, prosperity, and worship that Solomon would enjoy. And we think about the uh, 40-year time period that we briefly discussed uh, yesterday in our lessons, the time of war in subduing the nations. How infinitely more peaceful will the reestablished kingdom be after 40 years of war and annihilation of all enemies? And how much more wise than Solomon will be the king that the Father has chosen to sit on the throne of David. The account of the visit of the Queen of Sheba to Jerusalem and how it affected her should leave us with a very strong impression in our minds as to the absolute grandness of what is yet to come in regard to its physical environment, its organization, as well as the spiritual well-being that will be enjoyed. Let's go to 1 Kings chapter 10. 1 Kings chapter 10, starting in the 4th verse. I always always find this very, very interesting, especially when going through with with the Bible reading. It's something to stop and think about. And when the Queen of Sheba had seen all Solomon's wisdom, and the house that he had built, and the meat of his table, and the sitting of his servants, and the attendance of his ministers, and their apparel and his cupbearers, and his ascent by which he went up into the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. Now, our current figure of speech would state that it literally took her breath away. That's what it means. It literally took her breath away, or left her breathless, we could say. She was completely overwhelmed by the beauty and nobleness that no other kingdom of this earth could compare to, including her own at that time. In verse 8 she exclaims, Happy are thy men, happy are these thy servants, which stand continually before thee, and that hear thy wisdom. So she was completely overwhelmed by the experience that she had uh, just just in her observations of the things that she saw that Solomon had put together, as well as the wisdom that he expounded. Now, can we imagine the joy that we can experience if we are so blessed to be found acceptable to be Christ's servants in the coming age? This is not a servitude of drudgery, but as ministers of Christ to do His excellent will and to carry out His righteous commands. Now, we hope to behold with our own eyes a majesty that far outshines anything that has ever been seen, a wisdom that will refresh the world and to experience something so completely righteous as to engulf one with the most complete sense of well-being, peace, utter satisfaction, and awe. Again, it's hard to imagine, but again we have those scriptural passages that at least point us in the direction in which helps us to understand these things. Let's go to Isaiah 33.22. I think another interesting passage that sometimes maybe skimmed over a little too quickly. Isaiah 33.22. We read here in the Authorized Version, For the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, the Lord is our King, He will save us. Now, Lord we know is Yahweh. And what does Yahweh mean? What? He will be or I will be. It's, it's a future tense word, isn't it? I will, I will be manifest. So, if we read this with that thought process, for the Lord, or I will be, is our judge, or will be our judge. The Lord, or I will be, is our lawgiver, or will be our lawgiver. The Lord, I will be, or will be, our king. He will save us. There are three, if you know your civics from school, there are three aspects of government that are mentioned in this verse. What are they? Okay, yes, but what in our own terms, in, in American terms per se, what, what, do we, what do we call it? Legislative, judicial, and executive. Okay, All those three are mentioned here. I think that's always struck me as very interesting. Um, not that this, this is not a model of the American government. That's not, that's not what we, we are implying whatsoever. But all three of those elements are something that are, are, are necessary to rule. Um, so, in, in this all-wise and all-righteous king will be the judicial, legislative, and executive branches and responsibilities of governance rolled into the only one that has ever been fully fit to exercise such absolute power. Christ will be, has been, will be the only individual that will be qualified to exercise absolute power. How, how did it affect Solomon? Did he handle it very well, Solomon? For what? But but not but not for long. This did not continue. Even even Solomon, under the end of the most perfect conditions that a human could 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 rule over, he 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 couldn't even handle it. Uh, it just it, it it had its effect on over time. There is a saying that power corrupts, and that absolute power does what. Absolutely. Yeah, corrupts absolutely. Power corrupts and that absolute power corrupts absolutely. This is speaking of mere man. But Christ is not a mere man. Having overcome the lost nature in the days of His flesh, now in the immortal nature He will rule with the full wisdom and understanding of deity. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 9. Uh, we understand that from our lessons yesterday, that this will be, be accomplished through military conquest. Uh, in verse 6, and I, when, every time I read this passage, I always like to, to, to make note of it. Uh, in verse 6, the, the term mighty God is defined by the brown driver and Briggs Hebrew and English lexicon of the Old Testament as representing the divine hero re- reflecting the divine majesty. A divine hero reflecting the divine majesty. That phrase, mighty God. That's how the Jews understood that that phrase. And then the term the everlasting Father was understood to mean the Father of the coming or messianic age. The Father of the coming messianic age. So truly Christ will be the divine hero. He will be the, the hero of this new order reflecting the divine majesty. He did that in His first appearance And reflecting the will of His Father. How much more so will He do this when He appears again in the spirit nature? And the everlasting Father, the Father of the coming or messianic age, and He will be the Father, uh, the paternal uh, signpost of that age to come. Now, upon the final destructions of the enemies of God, the work of the kingdom will have just begun. As servants of the king, the joy of destroying the enemies of righteousness is replaced with the joy of implementing knowledge, righteousness, and prosperity throughout all the earth. And we have to understand, and and, uh, Brother Joel alluded to this yesterday, the millennial age itself is a a work in progress. It is, is leading to an ultimate end to that end of the thousand years when God will be all in all. As servants of the king, the joy of, of destroying the enemies of righteousness is replaced with the joy of implementing knowledge, righteousness, prosperity, peace throughout the earth. Revelation chapter 20 verse 6. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power. But they shall reign with him a thousand years. Now, the thing that, just as a passing comment regarding this, one of the early issues that the believers faced after the first century, the close of the first century, going into the second century, was the idea of turning the thousand-year reign of Christ into an allegory. And with the movements that we have within the body right now to change the view of the kingdom the kingdom is now or the kingdom is that we enter into it upon baptism, I, it's hard not to think that if time goes on too much longer, this may even be another issue that we, are, that we begin to face, is this idea of turning the, the, the literal thousand-year reign of Christ that we're looking forward to them turning it into an allegory. And that's, that's the next step that goes along with the process. So, just, just as a warning, if time goes on, we maybe should not be surprised if people start to spout that kind, of, that kind of theology. In Revelation 5, verses 9 and 10, the redeemed proclaim that Christ has made us unto our God kings and priests, or in other words, a priestly kingdom and we shall reign on the earth." Now this is an amazing contrast to what we now experience. And maybe we often do not appreciate that enough. At this current time, we have no authority. We have no power over the nations or even our local communities. And we shouldn't as strangers and pilgrims. The position of mayor, governor, president, or king pales in comparison to the leadership and authority that God has offered us through His Son. Crime, corruption, backstabbing, and war plague even the most sincere attempts by our leaders to accomplish anything good in this present world. But with the authority given to the saints as well as the necessary mental and physical powers to accomplish God's will, no such barriers will stand in the way, and to rule in such a way will no doubt be enjoyable." And that, maybe that's an understatement. And this is not the kind of enjoyment experienced by the despots of this world, who enjoy their free reign to exercise their wicked lusts, but the enjoyment to make right all the evils that the saints have had to watch and patiently endure during the time of their probation. The present endurance of injustice, persecution, and shame is scripturally spoken of in Revelation chapter 13.10. Let's take a look at that. And if we, for some reason or another, become frustrated by what we see happening around us in these days, we have to understand that I don't think it even comes close to comparing to what uh, brethren have had to experience over the past centuries. Revelation 13.10 He that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. He that killeth with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. The patience and faith of the saints. Probation before exaltation. Along with the role of rulership and inseparably connected to it is the office of priest. Revelation chapter 1, 6 informs us that Christ has made us kings and priests. Peter declared that we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, an holy nation. Though at the current time we do act in a certain capacity as priests, offering up spiritual sacrifices, this takes on a more powerful and perfect application in the kingdom. Christ will Himself combine the office of high priest with king, the order of Melchizedek with the throne of David. And to a lesser degree will the office of priest be combined with the position of ruler by the redeemed. Religion and state will no longer be separated. All decisions made and justice served will be based upon spiritual wisdom and spiritual consequences. No decision or action will be independent from a thus saith the Lord or the law that goes or comes forth from Zion. Matters both civil and spiritual will be inseparable and therefore the rulers of the future age will act as guides in spiritual matters as well as enforcing the rules and regulations that direct day to day life for the mortals of the earth. Now this has been tried before. The Catholic system tried this during their domination of 1,200 years. They viewed their system and still do as the kingdom of God on earth with all matters both civil and religious under the authority of the Pope and his priesthood. But history reveals to us a brutal, unjust and inefficient system that has offered the world something evil and vicious as the world has ever seen. But where man has failed, only God can successfully achieve. And it is the only answer to this world's problems. There's an article that appears in one of the early advocates. It's, under the, it's called under the title of um, Rome Would, If It Could. And it was written shortly after the um, Rome lost its, its temporal power in the mid-1870s. Um, but the point of the article is, is that if Rome were to have the same power that it once had, it would be just as vicious, um, just as intolerant, uh, towards true the true faithful or any any dissenters against against the Catholic system, uh, as it ever was. And so even we see a smiley face on on the popes and this, this lamb like appearance that they have, if they had the power to exercise to do the things that they wanted to do, they would still do it. And there should not be any question in our minds. And I think as believers sometimes we Lose, though not under the persecution of that, that wicked system, we, we lose sight of the fact of what it wants to do and if it were capable, that it, what it once did do on this earth. And we know that it will pay dearly for it. According to the visions of Ezekiel, regarding the future temple in Jerusalem, we also know that there will be a select group of immortal priests that will minister to the sacrifices offered up by the representatives from the nations. These are known as the sons of Zadok. Turn to Ezekiel 44.15. And there needs to be made a difference between the priests, the normal priests that are involved with temple worship, the Jews, who who deal in the more menial task in helping the nations... And their proper approach versus the sons of Zadok. But Ezekiel 44.15 But the priests, the Levites, the sons of Zadok, that kept the charge of my sanctuary when the children of Israel went astray from me, they shall come near to me to minister unto me, and they shall stand before me to offer unto me the fat in the blood saith the Lord God. Now, these are immortal priests in that age to come in the worship that is to be uh, that is to be uh, given to the nations for acceptable worship or approach to Christ and to God. Now, this speaker cannot say with certainty who exactly will be selected to such a high honor. And maybe some of you have, have further, further thoughts on this. Maybe quite literally it will be in fact be the literal sons of Zadok who for their loyal service to God and king will be given one of the highest honors in the future age. But nonetheless, this will be a high honor and a duty to be practiced by the immortal saints. There will no doubt be many different duties and levels of honor exercised by the saints. Christ referred to the reward of rulership over cities. The twelve apostles will rule over the twelve tribes of Israel. teaching will be directly connected to priestly and rulership duties. Some may occupy specific positions and jobs that we cannot now imagine. Ezekiel reveals to us that there will be musicians or singers who, like after the organization of the temple service that David established, will fill the great house of worship with harmonies and melodies that will not be designed for entertainment, but for the glorification of Yahweh. No matter how prestigious or basic the duty, we should share the attitude of the psalmist. i had rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. It is not for us here to speculate what kind of jobs that we would like to do the other side. It's up to Christ to make those decisions for us. Our hope is to be a part of that great age to come, no matter what service, even if it is a doorkeeper in the house of God. For Israel, As we see the nation of Israel now, a people who are ridiculed and condemned for every action taken or not taken, and as we remember that not too long ago that this was a people without a home and victims of unspeakable persecutions, we know that the kingdom will mark an amazing transformation in regard to how Israel and the Jewish people are viewed. Though the natural Jew as we speak of him today is unenlightened by the salvation that comes through the blood of Christ. And even when enlightened by the revelation of the Messiah after Armageddon, they will not share in the same glory and reward during the thousand years as the redeemed. As far as the natural course of their lives in the kingdom and the status they enjoy will be far superior to what it is now. They do not reach to the position of the redeemed saints. But they will live in a very, very uh, exalted position in that coming, age to, that coming age. The passage from Zechariah 8 was read yesterday as to how the Gentiles will take hold of the skirt of him that is a Jew. Understanding that God is with the Jews, but there are even more passages to consider. Let's go to Isaiah 49. Isaiah forty nine verses twenty-two and twenty-three. Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will lift up my hand to the Gentiles and set up my standard to the people, and they shall bring thy sons in their arms, and thy daughters shall be carried upon their shoulders. And kings shall be thy nursing fathers, and their queens thy nursing mothers. They shall bow down to thee with their face toward the earth, and lick up the dust of thy feet. And thou shalt know that I am the Lord, for they shall not be ashamed that wait for me. And that's just one of many verses. We didn't really touch on this yesterday, is that there will be some nations that, that submit uh, to Christ and his everlasting gospel. Uh, we think that the most likely candidates will be those of, of the Tarshish, what, what may be called the Tarshish nations. Um, those nations that uh, were not help, able to help Israel uh, in their uh, warding off of the, the Agagian invasion, but still nonetheless were countries that did not themselves seek or desire the destruction of Israel. Uh, there will be some kings, but their 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 job will be subservient uh, to the Jewish people and they will help in bringing them and restoring them back to the land and they will also be instrumental in enriching the Jews as well. Let's go to Isaiah 60, verse 12. Very blunt language here. For the nation and kingdom that will not serve thee shall perish. Yea, those nations shall be utterly wasted. And we're talking, when we're talking about servitude, this is servitude to the Jewish people. That nation that will not serve thee shall perish. Yea, those nations shall be utterly wasted. Uh, and going back to verse 9, it talks about uh, the shifts of Tarshish that bring back the sons and daughters, or the Jews, back to the land. 51 verses 5 through 7. And strangers shall stand and feed your flocks, and the sons of the aliens shall be your plowmen and your vinedressers. But you shall be named the priests of the Lord. Men shall call you the ministers of our God. You shall eat the riches of the Gentiles, and in their glory shall ye boast yourselves. For your shame you shall have double, and for confusion or disgrace they shall rejoice in their portion. Therefore in their land they shall possess their double. Everlasting joy shall be unto them." So, disgrace. They shall rejoice in disgrace. The Gentiles shall dis- rejoice in their disgrace. Lucky to even be alive. And then going back to Isaiah 14, verses 1 and 2. I hope I wrote this down right. Yes. We're told here that for the Lord or Yahweh will have mercy on Jacob and will yet choose Israel and set them in their own land. And the strangers shall be joined with them and they shall cleave to the house of Jacob. And the people shall take them and bring them to their place. And the house of Israel shall possess them in the land of the Lord for servants and handmaids. And they shall take them captives, whose captives they were, and they shall rule over their oppressors. When Jerusalem stands as the capital of the world, no longer will the inhabitants of this earth view Israel or the Jews as a perpetual nuisance. Jerusalem will be the geographic, the political, the spiritual, and cultural nucleus of God's kingdom on earth. The twelve tribes of Israel, once scattered and ridiculed and outcast in world politics, and on the verge of extinction, will be at the very center of world culture, influence, and power. Those nations who come up yearly to Jerusalem to worship at the temple there will see the prosperity that the Jews will then enjoy. They will see the favor that God has upon them and the riches they have gained through conquest and commerce. The representatives that have gone up to Jerusalem for the yearly observance of the Feast of Tabernacles, that's found in Zechariah 14, 16, will not only be overwhelmed and refreshed at the spiritual feast they have enjoyed, but will return home to share stories of the great beauty of the land, the marvels of her architecture, and the incredible prosperity of its Jewish inhabitants, both spiritually and naturally. Now this is a stark contrast as we now see Israel and her people despised by the nations of this earth. And Jerusalem as a burdensome stone. As things now exist, Israel is far from being a righteous nation. We know that. And the same can be said for Jewish people all around the world. Nonetheless, they remain God's people and a continual witness to His existence, to His power, and to the surety of the promises He made to Abraham and David. And as we mentioned in our previous classes, They will be humbled, their rebellious elements will be purged, and a remnant will come through the refining process absolutely devoted to God and His Son, their Messiah. Let's go to Jeremiah 30 verse 11. A memory verse. For I am with thee, saith the Lord, to save thee. Though I make a full end of all nations, whither I have scattered thee, yet will I not make a full end of thee. But I will correct thee in measure, and will not leave thee altogether unpunished. And going down to verse 22, we read, And ye shall be My people, and I will be your God. And in Ezekiel 37.22, if we could turn there. Prophecy of the dry bones. Ezekiel 37.22 Thus saith Yahweh Elohim, and going a little further into it, and I will make them one nation in the land upon the mountains of Israel, and one king shall be a king to them all. And they shall be no more two nations, neither shall they be divided into two kingdoms any more at all. Christ will be that one king. And though Christ will reign over the entire earth, His immediate jurisdiction, and that which will no doubt be closest to His heart, will be that of His people Israel. And what wonderful leadership Israel will enjoy. Jesus Christ as their king in Jerusalem and each one of the twelve apostles acting as governors over the separate tribes. What great wisdom and justice will be found in all Israel? A nation of mortal Jews ruled by immortal Jews, a nation of mortal Jews ruled by immortal Jews, of the highest rank that can be found in God's entire kingdom. Twelve tribes ruled by the twelve apostles, and twelve being what? What's twelve represent? Governmental perfection. Governmental perfection. In the coming kingdom, the Jews will sit upon an enormous land grant. I haven't really utilized the the projector here. The Jews will sit upon an enormous land grant that will far exceed ancient borders and will dwarf the pitiful partition they now possess and is in threat of even growing smaller. At least that's what the world would like to see. And I see up here, we've got the Mediterranean over to the left. And I don't have a an outline, but of course, Israel, today's borders is just a small sliver along here. But according to what is revealed to us throughout the Scriptures, including that which is mentioned in Ezekiel, we have a much, much larger land grant. Question, I guess a quick question for you is where, and what you see here in color, where do the... Uh, Arabs or any Islamic people fit into that do they fit into that that portion that's that's, that's promised there? no, they don't the refugee, camp. refugee camp somewhere else yes not 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 in this, not in this, and we have other indicators as to where where they will be located or allowed to live, and that's not our discussion here this morning, but a very, very large grant. According to the land survey provided in Ezekiel 47 and 48, we see a country whose borders will explode from the current 8,500 square miles, not including the West Bank, to an inheritance of approximately 300,000 square miles. Brother Thomas in Elvis Israel makes this statement. He says, Here then is a noble domain lying between Assyria, Persia, Arabia, the Red Sea, Egypt, and the Mediterranean, capable, when peopled by, people by an industrious, enlightened, and well and strongly governed nation, of commanding the commerce and sovereignty of Asia, and the wealth of Europe and America, such is the land concerning which God said to Abram, To thee will I give it, and unto thy seed forever. And then just looking at it, and seeing with its location between uh, Europe, in Africa, in Asia uh, and the, land, the, the water ports that would have off the Red Sea or the Persian Gulf off the Mediterranean, that it would be quite, quite an advantage. And that's something that I, that I believe that the, the Goggian host, when coming down, also recognizes the advantage of this territory and land. That was something that Peter the Great understood in his comments in his last will and testament. Going to Isaiah chapter 51, verse 3. Speaking of the change that takes place in the land, and we have a hymn that speaks to this, Isaiah 51, 3. For the Lord shall comfort Zion, he will comfort all her waste places, and he will make her wilderness like Eden, and her desert, like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness shall be found therein, thanksgiving and the voice of melody. And then Isaiah thirty five, one. The wilderness and the solitary place shall be glad for them and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. And going further, For in the wilderness shall waters break out and streams in the desert and the parched ground shall become a pool and the thirsty land springs of water and the habitation of dragons where each lay shall be grass with reeds and rushes. So we know that most, most of the land grant that we see up there is, is, is quite a wasted place at this time. And this explains and helps us to understand what value this land will have when the twelve tribes are restored and given their appropriate land grants. Now, regarding the Gentiles themselves, having considered the blessings upon spiritual and natural Israel, we turn our attention to the world at large. Though the nations will suffer greatly in the great transition from the kingdom of men to the kingdom of our Lord, For those Gentiles who come through the time of judgment, they will live to enjoy the peace and prosperity that is reserved for the mortal subjects of this earth. They will be ready to seek after the God of Israel, for they will have heard that He is with them. Jeremiah 16 verses 19 and 21 O Yahweh, my strength and my fortress and my refuge in the day of affliction. The Gentiles shall come unto thee from the ends of the earth and shall say, Surely our fathers have inherited lies, vanity, and things wherein there is no profit. In Isaiah 26, 9. And I think... I think you all realize as we go through this, we're, we're just scratching the surface when it comes to the, the, the scriptural passages that could be, could be used to strengthen our hope. 26.9 With my soul have I desired thee in the night, yea, with my spirit within me will I seek thee early. For when thy judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. The Gentile people of the millennial age will enjoy an existence that no other mortals have ever enjoyed in the history of this earth. Now, we know that sin and death still does exist in the kingdom of God. There still will be the element of faith. They will have to to learn by faith. They will have to experience and to develop faith in their attempts to, to reach unto the salvation, that ultimate salvation of eternal life. But... No longer will they be ruled by the pride of men. No longer will they have to endure the continuous stream of broken promises made by this world's leaders. No longer will they be influenced by the lies of false religion that only brings death. And the learning and making of war will become a distant memory. Peace, prosperity, perfect government, and perfect religion will be the norm. Though we see indicators, and, and, and I strongly believe that at the end of that that thousand-year time period that due to, the, due to the weakness of the flesh that they will become numb to this exposure, this great blessing that they have had and will uh, turn uh, turn on Christ and the saints in, in one, last, one last attempt. Isaiah chapter 2. Isaiah chapter 2. Even under perfect circumstances, man finds a way to let the flesh shine through. Isaiah chapter 2, And many people shall come, or go and say, and I should say we're starting from the beginning of the chapter, actually the the third verse, And many people shall go and say, Come ye, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. And He will teach us of His ways, and we will walk in His paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of Yahweh from Jerusalem. No longer will the poor and downtrodden of this earth be at the mercy of the wealthy and powerful. No longer will poverty be an excuse as the earth will provide plentifully and a working hand will be necessary to reap and enjoy according to the agrarian lifestyle that will dominate the earth's economy at this time. Make no mistake about it. The people of this earth are still going to have to work. They will not be given a free ride in the coming kingdom age. Let's go to Micah 4.4. Idleness will not be not be tolerable. Micah 4-4. But they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and none shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord or Yahweh of hosts hath spoken it, So every man under his vine and every man under his fig tree. Amos chapter nine, verse 13. Amos 9:13. Behold, the days come, saith Yahweh, that the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him that sows seed, and the mountains shall drop sweet wine, and all the hills shall melt. No longer will justice happen by accident, or like the justice of our day, create more problems than it solves. No longer will justice be manipulated to further the agenda of the wicked. For the authority of the future age will make decisions on a totally different foundation and man's faith in the power of government will be completely restored by the perfect government led by Christ the King. Righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. The prophet Isaiah in chapter 11 informs us of the peaceful environment that will exist that stands in direct contrast to the laws of nature that we now experience and that the Gentiles will no doubt enjoy. We are all familiar with the words, The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. And the cow and the bear shall feed, their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. And the sucking child shall play on the hole of the ant, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the cockatrice's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord or of Yahweh as the waters cover the sea. And just to have, and we've not really, we haven't even really scratched the issue of the, the future temple, but these are just some, some other pictures that we, through the Bible magazine, that we have, have, have collected that shows the uh, approach unto the temple. A little bit closer to that. This is just an artist's artist's description of these things, based upon Brother Sully's uh, plans that were pulled out of Ezekiel chapter 40 to the end of the, of the of the book. And Brother Joel had this picture up yesterday. To just kind of give us a little a little picture to to envision. God has truly blessed us to give these kind of descriptions. And again, as we've already said, we've hardly even scratched the surface of the coming age. We have not been left to conjecture, but are given simple and clear visions of the kingdom to come. The scriptures that we have referenced and many others speak very plainly on the matters of the coming kingdom. You do not have to be a master, theologian, or profoundly intelligent to understand these things. As a matter of fact, the men of this world cannot grasp it. And there is a reason for this. Let's go to Corinthians chapter one, verses twenty-three through thirty-one. Verses uh, chapter one, verses twenty-three through thirty-one of First Corinthians. And as we see so-called believers come out with all kinds of so-called enlightened views of, of truth, uh, more profound ways of looking at, 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 at the simple truths that we've been given um, that make claims that they're able to see things on a much higher spiritual plane than the rest of us that explains their, their new ideas, we have to understand these words uh, that were given to us through the inspired Apostle Paul. So we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews, a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks, foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are. That no flesh should glory in His presence, but of Him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That, according as it is written, He that glorieth, Let him glory in the Lord. The signs of the times are heralding loud and clear that the present course of this world has reached an end. All prophetic indicators tell us that there is really nothing left that has to be fulfilled before Christ's return. The stage is set and we wait for the angelic visitor to call us to Sinai. Change has been the worn out word that we have have heard beat into the ground during this past election cycle here in the United States. Certainly the world is ready for a change. But the kind of change that this world cannot comprehend. And such change is soon coming. Do we want to be a part of the change put into motion by the hand of deity? Will the coming kingdom be a world that we want to be a part of? Is it a world that we want our young people to be a part of? Is this the kind of world that we hope that the misguided people of this earth will choose to be a part of when given the opportunity? We are to be a people who look for a city whose builder and maker is God. Let us examine our affection and connection to this current world and make sure that we are truly following Christ's command to seek ye first the kingdom of God. And let us realize that the troubles that are all around us, most importantly, the deterioration of the truth among those who call themselves Christadelphian, will soon pass away as a distant memory. All this is merely the testing of our patience and faith. May it be our lot to enjoy the beauty and benefits of the age to come and to personally be counted with the symbolic number of the redeemed, the 144,000, so that we may joyfully sing to the Father, Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever and singing unto His Son the words, Worthy is the land that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. May we be allowed to recite those words in that coming kingdom age. And that will come with a close.